Hello everyone, welcome to Typhoon Talks, brought to you by Typhoon Consulting, a boutique management consultancy headquartered in Hong Kong. My name is Becky Bates and I'm an analyst here with the firm. Today I'm joined by Matthew Scherer, a graduate from Georgetown. Matt is an associate at the law firm Little and Mendelssohn PC. Matthew is a regular speaker on the intersection of AI and the law and runs a blog, Law and AI, which discusses the topic in greater detail. He's also the author of Regulating Artificial Intelligence Systems, Risks, Challenges, Competencies and Strategies. Welcome, Matt. Thank you, Becky. Glad to be here. So let's dive right in. Could you give us an overview of what the current legislation governing AI usage is? Kind of interestingly, there's very little in the way of general legislation regarding artificial intelligence. Right now, law seems to be most concerned with the use of AI in particular industries and settings. So things like finance, the use of AI in, to make stock trades and bond market transactions. Another big area that's in the press a lot is autonomous vehicles. There's a lot of movement regarding introducing regulations and modifying existing laws to prepare for the arrival of autonomous vehicles on the roads. And there's been few kind of hints that particular governments have been looking at that. The EU, for instance, took a serious look at the issue of AI personhood, whether artificial intelligence systems should be treated as a distinct legal entity under the law in the same way that a human being is and in the same way that a corporation is. And they ultimately moved away from that and they didn't really take much action, but the fact that it was an issue that they were considering was an interesting sign that this is finally getting on policymakers' radar. But we're not really seeing very much in the way of actual enacted legislation regarding artificial intelligence again, outside those particular categories and industries. Sure. So you mentioned kind of US and EU. Is that really where the focus is in terms of a global perspective? Or is there attention being paid to this outside of of Europe and North America? There is some attention being paid to it outside. Uh, Obviously, you know, really it's, it's the developing world and the emerging market economies where these technologies are getting introduced at the most rapid pace. Uh, So you're not seeing a whole heck of a lot of movement on the policy side with relation to AI in countries in sub-Saharan Africa or Latin America or even Eastern Europe. But kind of interestingly, uh, China is more attuned to the arrival of artificial intelligence and and the societal changes that it'll bring about. And I certainly think that in terms of preparing their labor market, in terms of preparing the workers for the effects of automation that artificial intelligence will bring. Countries like China, uh, Germany in Europe, and Sweden and the Scandinavian countries generally in Europe, they've taken concrete steps to kind of prepare their workforce for the coming disruptions, whereas the rest of the world hasn't. We're not really seeing much legislation anywhere in the world at the moment. So I guess following on from that, within existing laws, what are sort of the key areas where the new technologies clash with current legislation? Well, autonomous vehicles are actually a great example of that. In the United States, there is a very comprehensive set of regulations governing how motor vehicles can be built and what sorts of features they have, and they are very specific. They say things like, 
you have to have a steering wheel that can be operated by hands. You have to have a brake that can be operated by a foot and very specific regulations like that that clearly are designed for a car that is going to be operated by a human being. A computer doesn't have feet, so a computer can't operate a car that has a foot-operated brake. The reason that's a great example is it's it shows that throughout our laws there has always been an assumption that laws deal with things that human beings do. That if you're making a legally significant decision or you're doing something that could have legal consequences for somebody else, that the decisions and the actions are being taken by a human being. And in the realm of autonomous vehicles, that means that there are entire bodies of law, both at the national level across the world and at more local levels, uh, where there are laws and regulations that really explicitly deal with things that only human beings can do. And so that's a big area where there's where, where there's clashing, both in autonomous vehicles in, in particular, but also with the introduction of AI more generally. One of the big open questions is, what do we do now that we have this new technology that for the first time in human history can make legally significant decisions without the direct participation of a human being? Yeah, I think that was the really interesting thing when a few months ago an Uber's self-driving car killed a pedestrian was the focus on how the driver had behaved and where do you put liability. Where do you think we'll end up placing legal liability when AI develops? Well, I think that ultimately, once we get to the point where we are talking truly driverless cars, where not only is it possible for the machine to operate the motor vehicle, but the machine is the only thing that can operate the motor vehicle. So something like Google's original self-driving car design that doesn't even have a steering wheel. That's actually relatively easy. In that case, liability would lie with the manufacturer almost certainly because they're the ones who have effectively designed the driver and everything that the motor vehicle does at that point is going to stem from what the manufacturer of the vehicle uh, designed it to do. So once we get to that point, it's relatively easy. What's gonna be really interesting is what happens when we're kind of in purgatory in between the world of human drivers and the world of autonomous vehicles, where you have autonomous vehicles that are capable of driving themselves under some circumstances or even under most circumstances, but there are still times where humans are expected to take control of the vehicle. And figuring out when exactly it is that a human has a legal responsibility to take control of the vehicle and when machines should be designed so that they force human beings to take control of a vehicle, that's going to be the scary thing that right now we don't have a way of dealing with. We just don't have any way to allocate responsibility between a human and a machine in the same way that we do between two human beings. In the short to medium term, I really don't know, and I don't think anybody does, how exactly liability is going to play out for things like what you just mentioned, the Uber vehicle. Sure. That's also, I think, the, the biggest danger zone, that period of time where humans are essentially sharing the road with autonomous vehicles. From an insurance perspective, both in the 
immediate future where we're very unsure about where liability will lie. Will it be the manufacturer? Will it be who designed the software or the driver? As well as in the long run where manufacturers are going to be liable for, I guess, eventually every road accident that ever occurs, right? Um, How does that work from an insurance perspective? And does it become prohibitively expensive? Well, it will be interesting. I think that insurance companies, you know, they, they have to rely on historical data to figure out where the risk lies. And there isn't historical data on the performance of autonomous vehicles out on public roads. Technology is going to be changing at such a rapid clip that I think it will be difficult for insurance companies to come up with accurate estimates for what the risks are and knowing insurance companies at least in the developed world what they'll do is they'll make the prices considerably higher the premiums considerably higher to reflect the uncertainty and the amount of risk that they're facing so i don't think it'll be prohibitively expensive but i do think that we'll see an increase in insurance premiums there are a lot of circumstances where you certainly want the machine to take control of the car. When the when a car is hydroplaning and it needs to take a particular action in order to prevent from spinning out of control, you want the machine to control the motor vehicle. And there are already systems on a lot of vehicles on the road today that nobody would call autonomous vehicles, where the vehicle essentially does take control. Insurance companies, you know, they, they, they're used to when the machine takes over the car, it's because having the machine can take, take control of the car decreases the risk involved. And that's why you have lower insurance premiums a lot of the time on vehicles that have electronic stability control and other safety features that are automated in some way. The question is whether those kind of decreases in premiums are going to keep happening with the rollout of more and more autonomous technologies. I think that we're going to quickly reach a point of diminishing returns where the amount of low-hanging fruit of situations where the machine takes over control of the vehicle from the human is an obvious choice. Once we kind of get past that, that's when I think you'll you'll stop seeing the insurance companies offering lower premiums for greater automation, which has been the trend recently. I don't know when we'll cross that threshold right now. I think that for the most part, there's still a general tendency among insurance companies to think that more automated features make a vehicle safer. The question is whether that's going to continue to be the case as the technology progresses more and more towards full automation. Sure, sure. So how do you think legislators are going to adapt to the arrival of AI? Well, that is the million dollar question. (laughs) I don't think that we're going to see world governments passing general laws regulating what AI can and can't do as a general rule. Instead, what I think we're going to see is there are going to be more and more areas, whether you're talking about autonomous vehicles or finance or uh, medical diagnosis or law, where the use of AI is going to be subject to regulation in those particular settings more and more. Um, And... Another area where it'll be interesting to see whether there's much movement is something that I touched on before, and that's the impact of AI on automation and the changes that that will bring to the labor market. Uh, Right now, um, in the United States, I think that that is a very big issue that is being overlooked. In the United States, basically the entire system of government revenue is dependent on taxes earned from employment. 
And if there's a wave of automation that forces a lot of human workers out of their jobs, uh, there is going to be a gaping hole in the United States federal treasury. And it's not clear how that hole could be filled. And right now, politicians in the United States are not really paying much attention to it. And really, I think that the same is true to a lesser extent in the rest of the world. There are lots of expert organizations, whether you're talking about Deloitte or McKinsey and Company, uh, large consultancies and, and think tanks that are predicting that tens or even hundreds of millions of people could lose their jobs to automation or be forced to switch careers in the next 10 years. And I don't think that we are seeing the sort of policy response that you would expect to such a momentous change in the labor market right now. And I think that that's another area to keep an eye on where there might be additional rules and laws coming down the pipeline. Now, whether those laws are in the form of banning machines from performing certain work so that human workers can save their jobs, or whether they come in the form of uh, establishing better training programs and retraining programs so that workers displaced by automation can find new jobs, that's an open question. And that's actually something that uh, my law firm, Littler Mendelssohn, is uh, just started an initiative called uh, the Emma Coalition that's specifically designed to kind of help employers retrain their workers to prepare for the coming wave of automation. That'll be a, a huge change. Within the legal profession itself, how much work do you think will be automated in the future? Uh, that's, that's another very interesting question. I think that we're going to see certainly artificial intelligence become increasingly used in certain areas of law, like in assisting with the mundane tasks of document production and review, and in performing legal research and helping identify cases that are relevant to a particular dispute. So things like that, we're going to see more and more use of AI. One of the interesting things about the law is that it's very difficult to define what the law is in a general sense. Uh, different countries and even different regions within the same countries can take very different approaches to law. In some places, lawyers' job can be viewed as basically putting together a dictionary almost, where their job isn't to figure out what the law should mean. Instead, it is to figure out what the law actually is. They're supposed to be kind of detectives almost who examine the words of the law and try to find out its it's true meaning. But there's another view of law that takes hold in a lot of different places where law is, is something that's more adaptable and is meant to be fluid and be able to deal with changing circumstances. And that's a long-term debate in the legal academic world. And the reason that that's relevant to artificial intelligence is that basically by having AI participate in the legal profession, you are making, in some sense, a value judgment about what the law is. Because, you know, we are not at a point where we are willing to let machines make value judgments and make ethical decisions. So by having artificial intelligence systems participate more heavily in the law, we're kind of making a decision that we are viewing the law, again, as kind of like building a dictionary. So I guess another kind of question about intersection of law and AI in the practical sense is, will the kind of mass data that AI is going to collect 
become sort of standard evidence in dispute? So could your Alexa records be used um, in court as evidence? Yeah, I think that we are going to see that more and more. And I think that there's that's another area where there's going to be kind of a lot of thorny legal issues that need to be unwound because uh, it's one thing if it is a Alexa-powered camera that a city has purchased and that's monitoring a public area. It's quite another thing if an ordinary person, like uh, let's say it was me, if I had a Amazon Echo device in my room and it was recording everything that was going on and then later the government wanted to use the contents of the Echo against me, well, there's a basic question about whether or not I have any right or sense of privacy in anything that that device picked up because it was all going, in a sense, to Amazon. So if it's already going to somebody else, how can I say that anything that it picks up is private? There's a lot of concern right now that the concept of privacy, which has been a key consideration in the law in a lot of different countries over the course of the past century. The concept of privacy is kind of coming under attack and it's being eroded by the advance of technology. I think that there's going to be some resistance to the appropriation of AI devices for use as evidence in cases where those devices are owned by individuals who expected it to be used just for themselves and not to be used by anybody else. Yeah, really interesting. I guess the, the million dollar question to wrap up, you've said that legislation is going to come in sort of piecemeal chunks um, rather than global concerted legislative effort to put blanket rules down. When do you think we're going to see significant levels of legislation around AI coming into force? There is going to be a tendency for legislators to basically not want to deal with the issues involving AI except to the extent that they have to because it requires making difficult value judgments between you don't want to stifle technologies that can increase convenience and safety and can help make everybody's lives more efficient and easier and the very real concerns around displacing workers through automation and the proliferation of machines that aren't really under complete human control. There's a clash between those different interests that I think makes it likely that we're going to see general legislation. The question is whether that will change if there's ever kind of a moment of major crisis. An example of that would be, let's say that we turn over the operation of a country's power grid to an AI system, and the AI system makes some sort of mistake that causes millions of people to lose power for an extended period of time. And then there might be a a backlash against the use of AI more generally. The other way that I think it will happen is probably just slowly over the course of the next no less than 20 years, maybe even 30 years, as AI regulations and laws are passed in more and more specific industries, we'll kind of just start to see general principles. Maybe we're okay with machines preparing our food, but we don't want them making legal decisions, acting as judges and juries. Sure, sure, yeah, that's really interesting. Thanks, Matt. Um, so to wrap up, have you got any key messages from this episode that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, absolutely. So the first is something that I said early on, and that is what's really interesting about AI from a legal perspective is that for the first time ever, legally significant decisions are going to be made by something other than a human being. And that raises profound 
questions not just for the law but for ethics and human society more generally and I think that people need to think hard about when we reach a point where we don't want a cer certain decisions to be made by machines. And the other big key message that I want to leave people with is the importance of preparing for the changes that AI and automation are going to bring to the labor market around the world. The McKinsey Global Institute projects that about 400 million jobs worldwide are going to be displaced by AI over the course of the next uh, 12 years. Given the scale of disruption that they are projecting, there just isn't nearly enough preparation for that impact. And I think that both individuals and governments need to start preparing very seriously. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been really interesting to get into the questions sort of behind the big media buzz. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. That wraps up today's episode of Typhoon Talks. Follow us on Twitter at Typhoon Buzz and on iTunes and SoundCloud at Typhoon Talks for more podcast episodes. Also, please visit our website at www.typhoonconsulting.com for more industry points of view. We hope you'll join us again next time.